This is Bloomberg Business Week. I'm Carol Masser. And I'm Jason Kelly. We're here every day bringing you the latest news from the world of business and finance. Plus technology, politics, economics, all harnessing the power of Bloomberg Business Week reporters and editors. Not to mention our 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. You can download Bloomberg Business Week on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Bloomberg.com. You can also listen to our radio show weekdays at 2 p.m. Eastern, only on Bloomberg Radio. was unexpectedly resilient in the month of October. Prior months saw sharp upward revisions validating the Fed's signal of a pause from interest rate cuts and really indicating consumers will extend the record-long expansion despite weak business investment and despite trade tensions, although a little bit of lightening of that load as well. Chris Liu is former Deputy Secretary of Labor under the Obama administration, now senior fellow at the University of Virginia Miller Center on the phone from Charlottesville, uh, Virginia. Uh, Chris, so great to have you back here on, on Bloomberg. It's been an interesting week, chock full of news on so many different fronts. You know, the Fed came out and I think initially everybody's like, you know, where's the Fed getting all their optimism from? But, you know, you look at this jobs report, there are reasons to be optimistic. Yeah, I, let me, I'll be, take a slightly contrary view on this. I mean, this was a very solid report. And I think in part because the initial expectations had been so low, um, not only just based on other signs that the economy might be slowing, but obviously the GM strike. Um, I think this one, if we had simply said, hey, this is going to come in at 128000 in the abstract, we would say, you know, this is kind of a so-so report. And so, again, we always say don't look at one month. This was a solid report given where I think we thought it was going to be. Uh, but I think when you look at some of the other signals in the economy, the economy is still slowing. It just may not be slowing as much as we all thought it was. All right. So synthesize that for us, Chris. Like, What else should we be looking at to essentially sort of complement or give us a more holistic yeah. picture that, of what's out there? Well, we saw today's uh, manufacturing index yep. that showed for the third straight month. Uh, the manufacturing session, uh, 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 sectors in recession. Uh, we obviously have the third quarter GDP numbers that came out this week. Again, not as bad as expected, but still at 1.9 percent, a slowing from where it has been. Uh, and even in these numbers, um, we're seeing a slowing from 2018 to 2019. Um, and so, again, uh, there, there's a bunch of other, you know, uh, farm bankruptcies are up. Which, you know, there's a bunch of indications that show we're kind of slowing uh, but we're probably not moving into recession. And I think the other sort of interesting and probably concerning thing for me as well is that wage growth still is not what we thought it would be. And for all the people talking about full employment, uh, you know, we're still only seeing 3.0 year-over-year uh, year wage growth, which is really not what you would expect to see uh, at this point in an economic expansion. But to be fair, I think this economic expansion, Chris, is unlike any we've seen before. Just yeah. it's already, you know, the longest on record in terms of duration. Isn't it still surprising to see the kind of strength that we are seeing in the labor market? You know, where we are considering where we are in this cycle. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I mean, this has gone on, I think, far longer than anyone thought it would go. And, and you know, when I think the Fed's move uh, this week probably gives a little bit of more oxygen to this recovery. Uh, but it does feel like we are, you know, I don't know, for three months uh, to the end of this recovery, six months a year, but it does sort of feel like it is slowing down um, 
although just, as I said, not as dramatically as I think we all thought it was. All right. So, Chris, help us understand one one thing that I think caught our attention because, you know, we're Bloomberg. We look at the numbers and we see this tweet from the president <laughs> earlier, yeah. um, you know, celebrating as, as many gave him credit for, uh, you know, a really solid number. But he he put a number out via Twitter. I believe it was three hundred and three thousand with adjustments yeah. and whatnot. Can you help me understand what what he may be talking about there? Yeah, look, I mean, you don't do this. I mean, you know, the jobs numbers are what the jobs numbers are. You know, we can all say, look, 128,000 was good, especially given, you know, the 40 to 60,000 GM workers that were on strike. But then to somehow then start to lump together, you know, the previous month's revisions, which, again, were good, uh, and then sort of speculate what the GM effect was. And then they also did this kind of um, addition for uh, census workers, uh, they somehow come up with 303,000. I mean, the numbers are what they are. I mean, you don't say, well, but for the Great Recession, uh, Barack Obama would have created X million jobs. I mean, you know, we, we look at these numbers in the broader context. And I think the president of all people who sits atop these statistical agencies um, should not be gaming around with these numbers or trying to put a different spin on them. You know, as the deputy secretary of labor, I um, was in charge or oversaw the Bureau of Labor Statistics. These, this is one of the premier statistical agencies in the world. Uh, they just do such fantastic work, and we should just let the numbers speak for themselves. Well, and Chris, and this is, not, I'm certainly not making an excuse for endorsing it, but this is a very important political number as we get closer and closer absolutely. to November 2020, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, look, for all the president's political problems, um, the economy has stayed strong on his watch, um, and he will obviously be uh, trying to that, – that will be really the cornerstone of his reelection uh, strategy. So it's certainly incumbent upon him to put the best positive spin on it. Uh, but you could simply say, look, we created 128,000 jobs, and given everything else, that, that's a really positive number. But then to put out there 303,000 I think is just horribly misleading, and I think it sort of does a disservice to the um, – not only just to you know uh, the, the the career uh, employees at the Bureau of Labor Statistics, but I just think it's horribly misleading. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we're going to leave it there. We always appreciate your context. Chris Lou, senior fellow at the University of Virginia Miller Center and the former Deputy Secretary of Labor under President Obama. He joined us on the phone from Charlottesville. Love checking in with Chris. Well, earlier today at Bloomberg headquarters, Jason and I caught up with the CEO of the world's largest payments network. We're talking about Visa. They are huge. 3.3 billion Visa cards in use. We got uh, some details on the business. This was for another edition of Business Week Talks. Al Kelly is Visa's chairman and CEO. We began by asking, uh, with his vast network and vantage point, what is the state of the consumer and the economy? Actually, you know, despite all of this thought that there was a recession coming, we don't see it. You know, uh, in fact, our fourth quarter numbers, which for us were September 30 numbers, were better than the third quarter. The U.S. was up 8 percent. The international was up 12 percent, excluding China. Uh, Europe was up 13 percent when you exclude the U.K., which has done a little bit of self-inflicted wound to themselves. So what's wrong with everyone that we're talking so much about recession? I think it must just be the cycle. You know, it's been a long time that we've had this upswing, and I think that people just look at the history and say, well, it's, it's got to go down at some point. But, you know, the consumer has stayed extremely strong around the world. The only place we see any weaknesses in the U.K., and as I said, that's kind of related to the whole Brexit situation. But other than that, the world looks pretty darn good. And so let's talk about consumers and go a level down, because you have more insights probably than almost anyone into where they're spending, how they're spending, what they're buying, 
What are they buying? Where, where is where's their money going? Is it experiential, like everybody keeps saying? Well, in our, in, in our world, there's a couple of things that are really dri- driving the increases in the number of transactions we're seeing. One is obviously e-commerce. You know, people are jumping on their phones and jumping on their iPads and jumping on their uh, computers and and buying in big ways. We're seeing though every month those numbers. The growth in e-com is anywhere between two and three times the growth in the face-to-face world e- every every single month. Uh, we're also seeing people continuing to travel. Uh, there was a real downturn in travel back in December and January. If you remember, that's during the height of the U.S.-China trade talks. It right. was during the height of the Brexit conversations, and then we had the 45-day U.S. government shutdown and. Almost immediately, consumers started to just stay at home and not travel. But we've seen that pick up, especially in the last uh, six months. And that's always a good sign that when people are willing to leave their home country and go to another country, that's a that's a, a very, very good thing. The other thing that we're seeing is an increased amount of smaller ticket items being used uh, using digital payments. And a lot of that, I think, is driven by mass transit. I agree. We mm-hmm. are really excited about mass transit. Just in the last uh, 90 days, we've seen open systems in Edinburgh and Sao Paulo. Uh, We started in July, I guess June here in the MTA in New York, where uh, we're only at 18 stations from Grand Central Station to Atlantic Avenue in, in Brooklyn. But by the end of October of 2020, the MTA hopes to be in all 424 subway stops. Are people using it? Absolutely. It's the whole idea of tap and go, right? Absolutely. It's tap and go. It's so convenient. It's better experience for the merchant. It's better experience for the consumer. We we hit a million transactions in the first seven weeks. And we had no, and that's at 18 stations. Uh, it's and it's truly amazing. Oh, t- absolutely continuing to grow. Tap to pay has grown hugely around the world, with the exception of the United States, interestingly enough. Well, I was going to ask you about that because we've done a lot of work Mm -hmm. in the magazine about the adoption of those sorts of systems, especially in Asia, uh, especially mobile payments, all of these things. What is it about the United States, which is usually pretty innovative in, in many ways and early adopting in terms of technologies? Why is the U.S. lagging? The U.S. is lagging because it, fir- it goes back uh, – you have to go back about six or seven years at least where the U.S. was much slower to adapt chip in the card. Right. And the, it took so long to adopt chip. At that point in time, people around the rest of the world were moving past – actually just dipping the card to actually tapping. And the reality is that the the other countries have moved hugely ahead of us. You have countries like Poland and Hungary that are over 90% tap to pay right. in the face-to-face world. In the U.S., we have a very interesting situation. The vast majority of the businesses are set and plumbed to be able to facilitate tap to pay. It's replacing the hundreds and hundreds of millions of cards. And the banks, rightly so, want to do it on their normal cycle. So by the end of this year, we'll have over 100 million cards in the United States that will be tap to pay uh, enabled. And by the end of next year, it'll be over 300 million. So this will take a little time. Right now, tap to pay in the United States is about 2% penetration. I think we'll get to five or six next year. And then based on our experience around the world, it will really take off. And that is Al Kelly. He's the CEO, chairman of Visa, speaking with us earlier today at Bloomberg headquarters. And this is part of a series uh, that we've been doing for a little less than a year now. It's been a lot of fun. It's called BW Talks. Right. Uh, So you'll get the full uh, extent of that conversation in a few weeks in Business Week magazine. So much going on in the world of economics. So let's break it down. Alex Harris, bond reporter for Bloomberg, and Yelena Shalecheva, senior U.S. economist for Bloomberg Economics. 
are both here in our Bloomberg Interactive Brokers Studio. You're pointing well, at... Well, before we get oh, to the oh. jobs report, because I know it's important. I know. Finger guns. I know, I know. But, Yelena, I want to I ask you, when Richard Clarida says what he said today, he's the vice chairman of the Fed, what's the significance of him, of he speaking versus one of the other speakers? I think uh, all of them, including the vice chair, uh, have just been reiterating the same exact message that we heard from Chair Powell. And uh, I guess that's the idea, right? So you you hear from the chairman and then uh, all of them come back and talk about it just to really uh, get the message across. If you didn't hear, <laughs> that's what we are going to say. So we heard the same from uh, you know, from other board members, from uh, Randy Quarles, we saw, we heard that from uh, President Kaplan, I think, and it's really where they believe the uh, current stance of policy is. But let's see what happens uh, comes the December meeting, right. where we are uh, in terms of uh, economic growth, consumer spending, and uh, things like that. All right, so Alex, come on in. What did you see in the bond market today? You were not literally, but figuratively yawning at some of what we heard. You were doing the opposite of finger guns. Well, you know, and I, and I think the, um, the data and the headlines coming out on trade sort of, it's the epitome and echoes why I think the Fed is on hold right now, because if feels like after looking at everything, after looking at jobs, after looking at ISM and looking at the, the myriad Fed speakers, that it was like, and, and the trade headlines, it was like riding a bike and it's like the scene where it's like, it looks like you're riding a bike really fast and moving and then they pull it back and you're in fact going nowhere. Mm. That's what it kind of felt like today because, you know, you still have one rate hike priced in for 20, or excuse me, one rate cut priced in for 2020. And it was sort of vacillating between the end of the first half of the year and the second half of the year. So now I think we're back to somewhere in the second half of the year. Um, so nothing really changed. You just kind of saw all these like um you know they were they were sort of working against each other you know that jobs looked okay but ism did not and then you had oh they've agreed to something in principle in terms of the u.s and china on trade but really like what are the details and and the market kind of went yeah great but we don't have any details and we really don't know what this brings and so we're just kind of running in place essentially but the equity markets rallied and the equity markets rallied but i, I think you know everyone wants a reason for the equity markets to rally but I, I honestly think the bond markets are a little bit tired here and they they're gonna need a little bit more information to to make a move one way or another i think we're just kind of stuck here for a bit until we we get some confirmation that you know there there are yeah. more downside risks in place or you know know we're getting really some sort of resolution why are you making that face well because you're sort of a debbie downer here I, about yeah. uh, this friday the bond, but the bond market tends to i think move ahead of the equity yeah. markets here That's and I, I think the bond market tends to read things a little bit differently than the equity markets as well and look every you know equity markets are still making record highs and i think you do have some people who are getting nervous as yeah. they see it continuing to go up and there's no correction in sight okay let's just step back and look at some facts okay so Obviously, everybody was talking today about how great the jobs report was, and yes, it was a better than expected number. The impact from GM strike was not as big. Yeah. Uh, but you know, you have to look uh, at some details, and 
it's not that rosy if you just uh, look at the, the the headline numbers. So first of all, income growth is decelerating. So mm-hmm. we have seen deceleration to the levels we probably last saw back in 2017, and it's been happening since uh, since the the end of last year. So. Uh, really what you are going to get if this trend continues you will get deceleration in consumer spending which is the only uh, engine running uh, now behind economic growth but why is that Yelena if people still have jobs and they feel comfortable and confident about you know keeping those jobs even though they're not getting higher wages why does that mean we're going to see a slowdown in consumer spending because besides the fact that we all have enough stuff but that's another story <laughs> this makes them vulnerable to exogenous shocks okay. so something happens consumer confidence goes down and they don't have enough of this extra cash in hand, what are they going to do? But what kind of shock, considering the amount of shocks that I feel like the consumer has lived with over the past year or so, what kind of shock would would make that change? Well, if I knew that, I would make a lot of money, but uh, (laughs) I mean... I don't think that. But do you know we, what I mean? You know yeah, what I mean. Yeah, yeah. I feel like there's sure. a resiliency out there when it comes to both the markets, the financial markets, and the consumer. I'm not saying the consumer is cracking. That's the word that yeah. uh, Rich Clarida used. Yeah. But you know, if if they uh, have less of a cushion, you know, if they have less of a little bit of this cash cushion at at some point, right. and they feel like they need to save because their confidence is not that great in in economic outlook. That will impact economic growth to a disproportionate degree at the time when they remain the only engine behind economic growth. All right. We're going to leave it there with both of you. We appreciate it. As always, Yelena Shalecheva, Senior U.S. Economist for Bloomberg Economics. Alex Harris, Bond Reporter for Bloomberg News. I'm driving in my car. I turn on the radio. How about you let me drive? Oh, no. No, no, no. Who's going to drive you home? Honey, please, I'll do the driving. Drive on. Excuse me, I want to drive. Just drive, baby. It's the question that drives us. This is the drive to the close. That punk to music will drive us till the dawn. On Bloomberg Radio. It is time for the drive to the close, wrapping up uh, this trading week packed full of news. Uh, And we did see the uh, equity markets rally on that uh, jobs report today. Let's get into this with Melda Mergen. She is Deputy Global Head of Equities over at Columbia Threadneedle Investments. She joins us on the phone uh, from Boston. The enthusiasm, Melda, that we're seeing in the equity markets today, does it make sense to you? Um, Yes, because we know that the U.S. economy is pretty much driven by consumer, and if the consumer uh, balance sheet is healthy, it is good for the economy. We know that we had the challenges in the manufacturing part of the economy, but even that is coming to a trough, in our opinion, which gives another leg for for the market to be excited. And so when you look at a day like today, Melda, how much of it do you feel like is driven by jobs and the jobs report and how much of it is driven by the enthusiasm maybe that the trade, uh, all the sort of trade drama may be at least coming to something resembling a conclusion? I think both of them are the factors today. Again, for different reasons, the job 
report is the confirmation as the U.S. economy staying strong uh, in that part of the of the GDP, yeah. and then the trade is important from here, of course, to get the manufacturing uh, sectors and the global growth accelerating. So, uh, and and it looks like both sides are trying to to make this work and showing the willingness to to be at the table and make the first phase one deal. Hey, Melda, I want to ask you, you know, we caught up, Jason and myself caught up with the CEO of Visa, and we asked him, you know, they've got a great vantage point in terms of what's going on with the consumer. They're seeing transactions, where people are spending money, whether trends are growing. He doesn't see any signs of a recession. And what's interesting, a loyal viewer of Bloomberg Radio, you know, reached out, messaged me and said, you know, if the consumer is so strong, you know, why do we see folks, you know, so many like retirees in minimum wage jobs trying to pay their bills? Uh, we're talking about, you know, homeless and cities trying to give people, you know, um, you know, some support and, and, and um, assistance. I mean, it doesn't feel like everyone is doing so well. And increasingly automation and AI, uh, you know, are really kind of upending the workforce. And maybe we haven't, you know, filled or, or educated the public in the jobs that really are in demand. So how do you reconcile it? How do you see it? Um, definitely not everybody's doing great, and there is a lot of concentration, I would say, where the problems are in big cities uh, with the homeless and other uh, problems that you mentioned. Uh, the, the, the economy itself and where the investment is being made and how, how the economy is growing from here is different, again, in the sense of manufacturing, still an important part of it, but not the, the primary driver of the economy. And within that group, there is definitely, I agree with you, there is a gap in education, the skill set, what today's manufacturing um, environment required versus what we have with um, some of the of the workforce. So that gap, as long as it's not filled, uh, is going to be a problem. And that part of the of the population will uh, definitely feel more pressure from here. But on the other hand, we have the technology sector, we have service sector, um, healthcare. All those areas are really um, growing and and then growing in a, in a pace that helps. Uh, the other part of the population really uh, earning more wages and spending more. And so talk to us about the U.S. versus the rest of the world, Melda, because it feels like we continue to try and figure out whether this is a global situation. The rest of the world doesn't uh, feel maybe as good as the U.S. does at this point. And so how does that inform your choices as an investor? If you take the developed markets and look at ex-US, uh, specifically Europe and Japan, uh, there's definitely more dependence on the manufacturing factor and the, the health of the global economy. And we know that it slowed significantly in 2019 and those parts of the developed market struggled. And then the emerging market, of course, the global liquidity is a big factor for that part of the market, which is also improving uh, with what uh, Fed is doing and our other central banks' uh, stimulus to the, to the liquidity in the global markets. So for us, going into 2020, um, those, those inflection points is going to help overall the global market. But we definitely uh, experienced a lot of pain in 2019 uh, in, the, in the rest of the, of the world, um, ex-U.S. So what's your advice to investors at this point then? Um, 
again, for us, um, everything starts and ends with the with the companies and the environment they are uh, really operating in. Given that we see uh, and a better environment going into 2020, uh, we want our clients to be invested in equities. Mm. Um, it would be really, in our opinion, uh, depend on the the company um, selection, stock selection. But generally, we really don't want them to shy away from equities at this point. All right, we're going to leave it there. Great to have you with us, Mel DeMergan, Deputy Global Head of Equities at Columbia Threadneedle Investments, joining us on the phone from Boston. Thanks for listening to Bloomberg Business Week. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Bloomberg.com. You can also listen to our radio show every weekday at 2 p.m. Eastern, only on Bloomberg Radio.